gentlemen and otherwise, I would like to welcome you to How Not to Start a Damn Brewery, the podcast. I am your host, Kelly KFM Meyer, and I consider myself lucky that any of you are even here. In January 2020, I began writing a book outlining all the gory mistakes that I had made since my wife and I founded our brewery eight years earlier. The second edition of that book is at 57,000 words and available on Amazon, both in Kindle and paperback formats. Please check it out, pick it up, read it, and share it with a friend. The show is the same name as that book simply because my goal here is to help my guests to experience the same catharsis I did after laying my story out in public, and because I know that the lessons I wrote about were only the tip of an enormous iceberg. If you like the show, please remember to subscribe, like, write a review, share with a friend. Trust me, it all really helps. In this podcast, I will interview people in and around the beer business to uncover the mistakes, the pitfalls, and the hardships that all of us poor souls in the brewing industry have had the misfortune to experience. My guests will autopsy dead and dying breweries, break down the science of brewing, and dissect the art of marketing. I'll talk to distributors, retailers, beer writers, even a fan or two. Hell, I'll shove a mic in front of anyone I think can make you better in your business. This is open and honest conversation packed with emotion and sincerity, and hopefully, a little bit of fucking vulgarity. I want to thank you for joining my guests and I on this journey, and I truly hope together that we are able to teach you and your loved ones how not to start a damn brewery. And today, I am joined by Chris Rhodes of Off-Roads Craft Beer Station. It's a small taproom bottle shop located here in New Braunfels, serving arguably the best selection in our town. He and his wife took what looked like a risk at the time and worked their tails off to make it a recognizable brand, and loyal customers have appreciated that effort. So Chris got his start in our industry working in bar management and even spent a brief sentence as a server in my tasting room. Prior to opening his shop, he also started a craft beer tour company, right as the scene in our area started to really take off. He's well known in our area and has been retailing beer now in his second location for years. And it's that experience that made me intrigued to interview him. Since he's at the end of the three-tier system, his insights will help suppliers and distributors be better at their jobs. When I asked him why he wanted to peddle craft beer, he answers pretty much like we all did. So hey, where are you kids buying your grains? You know, back in the day, we only had two options, and each of them knew it. When there isn't any competition, things like customer service and aggressive pricing just don't make a bit of sense to the big guys' bottom lines. But Brewery Direct has given lots of fucks about their customers since the day they sold their first bag of grain back in 2016. They sourced grains for quality and grains for price. And as an extension of Johnson Brothers Bakery Supply, their access to unique ingredients and brewing adjuncts is simply unparalleled. And now, with warehouses from Washington to New Jersey, you've got no excuse for an overpriced or unimaginative grain bill. You can't make great beer from any old bullshit, and Brewery Direct knows that. They have great prices on great grains and offer great service to great breweries of all sizes. Oh, did I mention the free shipping? Check them out at BreweryDirect.com, or just type Brewery Direct into all of those social medias you seem to like so damn much. And it was just love of craft beer and finding, you know, that there was a void in this town, and I filled it. Cool. So when you decided to start, how did you go about it did you um you get 19 investors together uh, an sba loan for three million bucks and you know a bunch of in, in stuff from grandma when she passed away or how did you how did you put it all together well i mean that would actually have been smarter than how i handle it but <laughs> uh you know take someone else's money and waste it but uh, no i did it all on my own just like i started the tour company bought the bus outright built it out myself did the same thing there, um, just wanted to build something up that was my own and wasn't owed 
back to anyone or any entity as a bank or a lender or you know any investor uh, which investors can be good but they can ruin businesses and partnerships uh, so I, well, I wanted to grow it all myself because i wanted it to be my business we did take a small loan from the bank but it was really not not significant enough to really say like oh they're the ones who did it <laughs> it was mostly out of our pocket it was kind of having just a a grab bag or a, you know, just a little cash on the side to be able to pull from if needed. It was really just uh, me and my wife. Uh, we are 50, 50 partners in the business. Obviously I do all the work. I run the business. I order, do everything, but she is there for support. And, um, how do I put it? Um, she decorates the place. Decorates it. Yeah. She has a better eye for things like that. Feng Shui. Yeah. It is my view, but it's, uh, it's her design. So how did you decide on the structure of the team? Did you sit down and go, look, we're going to be open 13 hours today. It takes four people to do it. Or um, I need a manager and assistant manager. And, and how, how did you decide on how you were going to structure the team? Well, that all came kind of on the job. I initially opened with just myself working about 13 hours a day. <laughs> um, did that for about 90 days straight because I wanted it to be seven days a week. You know, I, I wanted... The opportunity for beer drinkers, especially craft beer drinkers, new and accustomed to it already, to have an opportunity in the any day of the week to come pick up something to go or just sip on a beer for the afternoon. You know, just basically what I would want. You know, have an opportunity for an establishment just to be there every day, noon to 10. You know, it's not too early. It's not too late. But it is a great time of just enjoying a beer without having to go to some of the other establishments in this town that don't have uh, great selections necessarily. Yeah, well, that was actually one question I was going to ask you. So obviously in the beginning, especially, and even still now, for New Braunfels, you have carry a lot of products that either nobody else has or nobody else has in quantity or nobody else has consistently. How do you decide what you're going to support and what beers you're going to bring in when you do? Well, that's a good question. It's kind of just the the whim of what I'm feeling like we should do. I mean, the rotation is there. I mean, it's part of our whole business model to constantly rotate and bring not necessarily always new, but just something different every time. You know, we rotate our taps frequently and a lot of people in the industry or even uh, newcomers get excited for that because there's one only, not only do you know that it's a fresh product on the wall, you also know you're like, oh man, I've never had this or, you know, I've never even heard of this. And it's just that kind of that kind of love I want to give the beer industry because, you know, here in Texas, we we've been shit on for so long because of uh, the laws and regulations. It's created you know an uphill battle this entire time, even with the law changes. It's made it a little little easier, but not as easy as any other state that is thriving in their industries. And so I just try to show that support to them because, you know, it, we're all riding on it. And it's it's just the love of the industry. I love craft beer, and you know, I want to show that uh, that there are people out there, not only customers but business owners, retailers, or vendors that want to do that same thing. They're not they're not in it for you know the big gains necessarily. It's more of the passion. Sure, and and I definitely I've mentioned that in the book a few times. But the more interesting your beer gets, the harder it is to sell. So obviously, you've made a choice to sell 
things people aren't familiar with. And so theoretically, then going to be a little more challenging to educate and to move. Do you find that that's harder for you? Do you have some systems in place to overcome that? Or Well, I mean, the first thing is having a very knowledgeable staff. That is key to success in this industry is having a staff that is willing to put time and uh, the effort into inform and educate our uh, customers because like you said it's we get in a lot of product that people aren't aware of or it's something new and wild you know weird we carry everything from a, a great german hefeweizen to you know some slushy bullshit it's just what we need to do we like to have a very eclectic portfolio uh, to provide and let the consumers decide because ultimately they will decide in the end what the market and which direction um, the beer industry will go, even though it shouldn't be really going anywhere. We should go back to the basics, in my opinion. But <laughs> Good luck you know, with that. What the fuck do I know? <laughs> yeah, we'll see if that happens. Yeah. Also, part of it, it's, it's establishing this business, knowing that there are weird and niche businesses in this world, let alone just in the United States. I mean, I worked a job selling quilt curios. I'm sure you don't know what that is because it's fucking weird. You know what a curio cabinet is? These are literally little cabinets or trunks, I should, I should call them, that are designed to put quilts in. Like, it's so niche. Like, you never thought that would really exist or there be a real market for it. But I traveled all over the U.S. and sold that shit, <laughs> realizing, holy crap, niche industries can thrive right under the noses of everyone, you know, even in this town. New Braunfels is a huge quilting community. Really? And you wouldn't even know it. Like, yeah. So I was like, you know what? We can thrive and survive. Uh, it's just getting to the right people, you know, expanding that. And then after you're established, you know, it's getting the new customers, the new uh, tongues that haven't tasted the libations of the beer industry. It's a struggle. <laughs> In search of the craft beer quilters. That's what you're looking for. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> So one question, how, as, a, as a retailer, obviously the whole concept is you bring in beer at a fixed price and then you sell it um, for more. And in Texas, which I think is pretty consistent around the country, um, everybody has to buy for the same price. So the, the difference in the retail place is going to be the atmosphere and then the pricing. So for you guys with your margin, how did you decide what you wanted to do? Because you see guys that will do things you know, as low as I've seen 18 17% on lost leader type things they're trying to get out in front. I've seen retailers go as high as 40, sometimes 45%. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you decide what you wanted to charge and what was going to make the most sense for your business? Well, I mean, 17% sounds fucking insane. How would you even thrive off of that? How would you, I mean, unless you're selling, you know, a thousand other products and that's just one lonely product that is at 17% because you literally would lose your business if you sold anything at that price. Yeah, no, I agree. And so obviously, it's to be more of a volume-based business yeah. or somebody with an end cap. They're trying to get attention from that specific thing. But Oh, like your large grocers, things like yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, for us, you know, we want to be competitive with those uh, large suppliers, uh, retailers, because they can have the quantity that we cannot carry and they can have the margins lower than us. We will never be able to beat, you know, your HEB or your specs or any large alcohol retailer ever. I mean, on certain items, we might be comparable in price, but there's no way we could beat them. But uh, with that, we want to be as competitive as we can. So being around the same price, and that's why we have a whole different price system when it comes to our bottle shop, when it comes to to to-go beer, 
versus your dine-in beers, uh, your on-premise drinking. Because obviously we need to make a higher margin when people sit at our tables because that's just business. You have to make up your revenue with the seats. That's where all the money's at. But uh, with the bottle shop, it's the idea of that is to have a large selection for a very competitive price, but also offering a large selection for dine-in um, also at a very competitive price. You don't want to overprice your things. So we have a pretty set standard when we get packaged in, you know, we, we up it up uh, a certain amount, but occasionally we'll up, if it's a rare item, we'll give it a little more percentage, or if it's an item that we have constantly, we'll give it a lower so it sells more often. You know, like some some hazy beer out there that constantly selling for some godforsaken fucking reason, we keep it in stock and we keep it at a very competitive price because it's, it's the item that someone will buy a six-pack of that and then they'll get a six-pack of mixed beers. And obviously the mixed beers is where we're going to make our margins on, um, but hopefully they they take something for dining. The problem is running into overpricing. You know, you want to be able to make your margins, but honestly, some of these beers are so damn expensive. It's, uh, it's almost unreasonable and it's hard to purchase and sell these things because you don't want to scare your customer base off. So sometimes we take a little bit of a hit just so we can continue to bring in those weird and wild beers that you know, might be out of our price range, but we want to make sure our customers are uh, happy with what they're getting and a good price at it. Because, you know, ultimately it comes down to it is we're just trying to share what we know about the beer industry and what products are out there. Because, like you said before, we carry some weird shit that no one, will, no one else will carry. And that's part of our whole game is to be one unique in our own way, have good price margins, but also I would say the best atmosphere and best selection in town. Yeah, I ran into that issue with the margin too, with the uh, Firestone Walker specifically, one of those breweries that I always want to support. They were Their anniversary beer was actually one of my inspirations for starting the brewery in general, but particularly for looking at beer the way that winemakers do, which is kind of the palate that one of the problems I always had at the beginning is I'm a winemaker's palate making beer, and most of my customers in that those days didn't understand that. Now yeah, our fans do, but... So anyways, we always support Firestone and their 12-ounce bottles. It's, um, I think we sell for half the margin that we sell everything else for because it, you just can't. They're too damn expensive, and it's a 12-ounce bottle. No one's going to yeah. pay 25 bucks for it. Exactly. Um, but I still want to have it. I still want to support them, and so we keep it around. So. Yeah, it's and it's also to show, like, hey, look what these guys are doing. Look what else is available out there versus you know what we're doing or what uh, instead of having just like a basic beer for a very fair price, you know, you're trying to offer – a great beer, something that's very complex and uh, difficult to make, but also not trying to outprice it to where no one buys it. So it's a it's a balance. I mean, it's a seesaw you got to fucking balance on because if you your price too high, your customers won't buy it. The product's going to sit, and obviously, you know, a product on shelf is just money sitting there. And some beers get worse with time, and yeah, and true, very true. That's also another thing you got to factor in when it comes to price points, <laughs> funny enough, or even uh, size pours, things like that, because mm-hmm. uh, that that in of itself is also a complicated game. I mean, it's all just knowing a lot about beer, really, to do this. Like, I could not say that somebody without the knowledge could open up the store that we run and be able to do it the way we do it. Because it takes years of experience, not only just drinking the product, but knowing the industry, 
and where their prices are at in the industry. Heck, we've seen in the last 10 years, the average six pack go from, you know, six fifty seven bucks to now eight fifty nine bucks. I mean, it's not a huge inflation, but I mean, that's what, a, a 25 or yeah, about a 25% increase, 30%, yeah. which is a pretty good increase, especially when it's a product that a lot of people, and when I say a lot, of, I mean, majority of people think that beer is like a cheap product and should be cheap. And that's been driven into the minds of the people because of big beer. Because it's just mass, mass amounts of beer that are cheap and cheaply made and you know, over-marketed. So people think that beer is a cheap product. But in, in our humble opinion, I think it can be just as refined and complex as your most expensive wines or stills. I mean, it's an alcohol just the same. They're, it's not below any of the others and like you said you're trying to do something as a winemaker so it, it it's just as complex and should be priced you know as well as these stupid expensive wine bottles and and uh, liquor bottles because I mean why not <laughs> why is it why are we sitting on the bottom of the fucking the shelf still like yeah well Mark is all being driven by that standard so even in wine like the cheap bottles you still see a lot of stuff for six bucks. I mean, you do, but it's uh, some pretty shitty fruit, possibly capitalized or whatever to make it fit that. But I don't think we have the range the same way. Those those products don't get respect. Even people who drink them know that they're shit when they're drinking them, but they don't give a fuck. It's Friday afternoon, whatever, or, or Thursday morning. But with beer, it's, it's weird that those mega things have become the standard where even a lot of people who drink craft beer will drink craft beer. Um, in front of their friends or at a special occasion, but their, their fridge is still packed with Miller Lite or uh, I've seen that, yeah, less often Bush Light, but something's in there that you know like is a Lone Star from time to time. Yeah, right. That, <laughs> the local beer of Texas, get the fuck out of here. But yeah, I know I saw a post. I think it was yesterday online about how people in San Antonio were getting excited that Pabst had moved their headquarters to San Antonio. Oh fuck like, me! Why is that a thing on a craft beer site? Like, it's just. But that's the reality. Like most people just aren't drinking it craft beer all day. And granted, if you did, you're going to be 350 pounds. So I get why you wouldn't. But yeah, it's just a different different part of the industry for sure. Yeah. Um, one question I have for you is, so you get to see on the retail side, obviously um, I'm dating the podcast, I'm sure. But over the last few years, we've seen retailers all over just yanking bomber space. Um, and just it's just been shrinking. Uh, sometimes every six months you'll see it, but pretty much in every single reset, they're kind of pulling those back more and more. I think uh, our local big HEB just finally on this reset pulled the majority of their bombers out of the cooler. Oh, I, wow. I didn't um, know that. Yeah. So from your perspective, obviously you still see com- amazingly badass beer coming in a 750 bottle. Um, 500s now are being pretty consistently used, especially European stuff. But how do you decide? Uh, you can't buy every 750. You know it's not going to move. So how do you decide what to get in there like versus cans to bottles well i mean one of my um policies is if, if it comes in a can i'll buy it in a can uh, versus a bottle because um, not a lot of products are offering both but if it is a can over a bottle i'll pick the can 
Um, is that because you see it move faster at retail or it's easier to open on site or what's well for me it's uh it's storage you know stackability oh sure okay um which helps out but also uh cans you can't get any degradation from sun from those and and i i like to tell this one they're just mini kegs it's a personal keg that's how i look at a can now i don't know the intricacies of how sealed and precise versus a can is versus a bottle i'm guessing a bottle is has a better seal like can preserve a beer better but who's to say which one is better i mean we'd have to literally do a test between a bottle and a can and let it age over time but for me bombers i don't want to necessarily say it's a dying format but it's a format that i think should be reserved for beers that can age your more refined complex beers should go into big bottles 500 750s because those kind of beers are meant to be shared and also that they should have a little more prestige, which the bomber bottle does show like, hey, look at this fucker. You know, this big fucking bomb here. It's 20 bucks. Buy it. Share with a friend. And Save I, it if you want to. Open oh, yeah. it in 20 years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what I look at. And I, and I see that the same as like buying a nice nice wine bottle or a nice wine and, and storing it away for a good time, you know, for... Because you're not going to buy a $70 bottle of wine and just drink it by yourself, will you? Usually you'll share that. But if you're drinking... I don't know who the fuck you're talking to, but... <laughs> I mean, I'm not judging here. <laughs> I'm just I'm just trying to point out what most people will do. They'll, they'll share those. But like I said, for me, I would go with cans, preferably one mainly for storage. Because it's just... It's easier than... Uh, you can't stack bottles. Yeah, and I know a lot of retailers... And that's one of the things with the grocery store I was talking about, the HEB, their sets are actually now built to accommodate the can. And so then the bomber's in the way. And so, it, and I forgot the numbers, but I've, I've seen it where a shelf that would fit two different can styles would fit one bomber. And so mm-hmm. if they're trying to get yeah. you know, diversity and, and some figure out which ones are going to do the best volume, obviously the the bombers don't sell as fast. So oh, absolutely not. Because it's a bigger commitment. I mean, that's how I view it is... Oh well, I can get this six pack for nine bucks, or this one bomber for eighteen. Sure. Six pack one has more beer in it. Two, you can open one can at a time, or share between two people. You know, and then three, it's stackability. I mean, you don't need you know what twelve, thirteen inches of space in your fridge to shove this this fucking bottle. But that's that's essentially how I look at it. I, I mean. Bombers are still here, and I and I wish for them to stay. But like I said, I think the more fine, complex, more even even some really great traditional. Like I know, Save the World does a lot of bottles, like big bottles. Yeah, they do small and big, I believe. Yeah, but. they they do all bottles. Um, but you know, that's that's totally on the brewery. Fine, it's whatever. It's I don't know why they choose to do uh, six pack bottles, but you know, you, you hear. Like uh, Green Hall is no longer carrying certain products because it doesn't come in bottles because they want to keep it too, in quote, traditional. And yeah. I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? That feel of the cowboy boots and a long neck on Friday yeah, night. Some yeah. jag off telling me that it tastes, <laughs> tastes better out of a bottle than it does a can. And then I ask, hey, what tastes better, a bottle or draft? And they're like, well, fucking draft. And I'm like, the fucking can is just a small keg, you idiot. It's shit like that. You don't, you can't change people's minds because it's been so uh, ingrained in them uh, for so long that you know, it's it's hard to change their opinion on things. I mean, there are people out there that do change. They're like, fuck yeah, cans, let's go with that. Because, I mean, it's it, it takes up less space. Um, it's a recyclable product, reusable 
same recycle is what I mean. Um, <laughs> Refill <laughs> Reseal them. Hey, I've Why seen not? some funny shit. Come on. Uh, Always Sunny. He was filling that Diet Coke can with red wine. He was oh, drinking it right. in the park. I mean, you technically can reuse it. <laughs> it's been done. Yes. The precedent is set. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, uh, I'm going to take a quick break. Uh, I've got to pay some bills real quick, and then we're going to come back, and I'm going to go through some of the mistakes in the book, and we'll kind of talk about what you've seen us stupid-ass brewery owners do from your perspective. So Mm. be right back. So do you ride motorcycles? Because if you do, you want the sickest gear on the planet. And SimpsonMotorcycleHelmets.com is the site for you. Break free from the pack with your kick-ass style and design that is as subtle as a sucker punch. When you're out on the open road, don't let anyone confuse you with your grandpa. Project an attitude that's all your own. With their signature style and performance, Simpson sets the standard of looking cool while providing superior comfort and protection. Authenticity counts, and there are many helmet brands out there, but there is only one Simpson. You got a killer bike, don't you? Why sell for a boring helmet? Pick your poison at SimpsonMotorcyclehelmets.com. Badass riders don't settle for anything less. See for yourself on Instagram at Simpson underscore motorcycle underscore helmets. Thanks for riding with us. We'll see you out there. In the book, uh, mistake one was focus on quality over branding and marketing, which basically just meant that I spent entirely too much time trying to make sure that the beer tasted the way that it should have from a traditional perspective um, or just, you know, making sure that what's in the bottle, in the keg mattered. And at the end of the day, what especially what you're seeing now, but at the end of the day, what mattered more was how it was marketed, the colors of the packaging, you know, what, whether its placement was on the shelf at the retailers and that kind of thing. So just from your perspective, like you've seen it all. How much would you say the, the design of the can impacts the sales regardless of the flavor? The design branding yeah. is, is majority of it. I would say 80, 90%, 90% of it. Because once you can get... Once you can get someone to buy your product and taste it and you have a good product, they will continue to buy. But that first sale is the most important. And we see that on our shelves. The, you know, the cans and the bottles with really fun, artsy or uh, colorful designs tend to get picked. You know, they have a stupid little koala on it or a fucking... You know, a koala? So, yeah, I'm just <laughs> you know, a sun with the face. I don't fucking know. It's just ones that have more color and design... Because, you know, our, our our establishment is really about new, unique stuff, rare stuff that you're not going to find everywhere else. And, you know, I don't pick I don't pick any of the products that we have normally because of their can design or their artwork that they have on them. You know, I don't get to see a lot of that before it shows up to my store. Mm. But, you know, things go on the shelf and they typically sell more. Example, like Ingenious Brewing. They have just... A fun logo with their half brain, half hop thing, and then all their cans have unique characters or unique designs on them, and it tends to sell their product quicker than others. And you know your your vibrant cans or bottles; those designs do it. I mean, obviously, I want better product, but in my opinion, I think it would be the branding and what does it look like on the outside. And your marketing is probably your most important thing. Obviously, you want a good product, but there are breweries out there, I'm not going to mention, that have sent out, you know, just just hot fucking dog shit. 
<laughs> and they have the coolest artwork, and people buy the fuck out of it. The reviews are so wild because people are just ignorant to the fact of what bad beer is because things are so adjunct and, you know, muddled in their flavors that they don't even really know what a traditional beer is. So they're not fucking buying traditional beers. They're buying whatever cool label was on the shelf. Oh, look at that cool label. It says hazy. I want that, you know, or uh, whatever sweet bullshit they find. But in my opinion, and I would say uh, most of others, it would be their design. So, and obviously there's a couple of different things there, but Ingenious is one example for, for a brewery that they don't really have a lot of core SKUs. And so if they get it's your true. attention on a can, you buy the can, we're they, not worried about rebuys, essentially, yeah, they t- do a lot the next of, release. Uh, seasonal or one-offs, things like that. They do bring them back, meaning that's what a seasonal is. But mm-hmm. they do a lot of like, oh, yeah, we did this one last year, but we made a slight change, and now it's this. You know, like That's not a whole new fucking product, but they present it as a whole new product. And, and that's not that's not like ingenious particularly. That's just how breweries are presenting it. And it helps them out. I mean, because people think that it's like, oh, it's a one-time thing that's being made. So they buy the shit out of it. And what's, what's funny too, and maybe since you're the retailer, you can tell me your perspective on this, but you see a lot of these guys that do that, the, the like weekly, bi-weekly release schedule, something totally new, new label every time, even though the beer is pretty much the... The, the base beer plus a couple of adjuncts and it's a different adjunct this week than it will be next month but mm. um, some of those wildly miss and there's some that are just you know fucking terrible like you said um, yeah. and what's interesting to me is I see a lot of times where the the market doesn't care they're they'll buy this you know fifteen dollar six pack everyone knows it sucks and then the next time there's a fifteen dollar six pack from that same brewery they still buy it and, and Maybe you can give me an idea why you think that is. Why are, why are consumers willing to overlook a massive mistake for the, some of these breweries? Well, I mean, part of it, I think, is people's palates. You know, it's it's partly these craft beer drinkers, and I say lightly, craft beer drinkers. The reason why these weird and bullshit beers are, are being so successful is because these people don't have palates for good beer. They just want sugary bullshit they want you know whatever adjuncts gonna oh my god marshmallows and graham crackers and oh my lucky charms who fucking cares make me a good beer and then make me some fun shit but i think uh part of it is just that uh it's the social media presence it's a big thing you know hey look at me look what i bought you know look at my my beer drop and whatever Look what I got delivered, or look what I found in the store. It's all, look at me, look at me, look at this cool artwork, even though they're not going to say, well, that beer was garbage. They're just going to say, well, I got it. That's that's all that fucking matters. Like, I got my hands on some, even though it's like, well, who fucking cares? Well, it's all the other people that are in that same circle of just, like, one-upping each other and the products they can find and buy and whatever weird, oh, you know, you haven't seen this anywhere, so I've got it, look how special. When you have people coming in going, oh, can I get a, they just pull their phone out and show me something, and I'm like. Whatever this is. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's not sent to Texas. Like, it yeah. does not sell here. Well, you know, my buddy brought it, I'm like, from fucking where? Like, <laughs> he didn't buy it here, I'll tell you that. Like, yeah. But it's, it, you know, it's always some, like, artwork. Like, an example would be, like, Parrish's Ghost in the Machine. Good beer and all, but we can't fucking get it over here. Mm. And, you know, it's got a neat logo and it's got a name that resonates with people that are in the industry. But it's like, 
why I have other products that are as comparable or um, similar. You just buy that, and they're like, well, and they walk off. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> right. So I'm just it, it, can't get it anywhere else. You're just gonna not buy anything. Yeah. yeah. You just yeah, exactly. And that's you know, it's frustrating in that standpoint because I'm trying to run a business about beer, but it's become more of a you know a marketing gimmick. A fucking it's a game now. Who has the weirdest shit and who has the the most colorful and unique artwork on their fucking product? It's I'm not bitching about that. I'm just it's frustrating that <laughs> I can't just sell somebody a good fucking Kolsch and be like and then make their fucking day. Right? Yeah, they want something unique and different. Yeah. What's funny? I, I think one of my the, the best examples I've seen, and um, obviously. I, in the book, I, I talk a lot about Martin House. I do not hate that brewery. I have to make sure that's clear. But I think this one's fucking hilarious. You don't? <laughs> I, I don't at all. But so they did a beer years ago. and Maybe it was two years ago, something like that. It was a dark dark stout of some sort with menthol and squid ink in it, which just sounds fucking gross. And it probably wasn't that great. But if you go on Untapped and look at the check-ins, which they probably aren't done now, but they were hilarious because you could tell it was people who loved Martin House for Martin House. Oh, yeah. Hated the beer. There's but going weren't, balls deep weren't on willing that. to say it. They were oh, like, yeah. this one's not my favorite. Um, or, gosh, thanks for doing something weird, Martin House. You know what I mean? But they wouldn't say, God damn it, I spit this out. Holy I'll never golly. drink this again. <laughs> it was a unique try, but I'll keep drinking their product. Like, fucking and that's, why? <laughs> and that's one of the things that, that has made them very successful. And obviously, the, that if we could all recreate, that would be the best thing ever. They have loyal fans who will drink it whether they like it or not. And that's the fucking secret of business right there. Well, it is funny pointing that out because it's like people think, and this is just from consumers hearing and talking to them all the fucking time. People think that like Martin House is up the pinnacle of a good sour or weird sour. And I'm like, you guys don't fucking know. You don't even know. This is the same thing we had 10 years ago when people were like, well, Jester King's the fucking sour brewery the best. I'm like... What? It's the only one you've had. <laughs> it's like it's the only fucking sour brewery you had. And guess what? It was a fucking mistake. It's not that good. Go go try a true sour, you know, a brewery that is intentionally making these from the beginning, and you'll know what a real sour tastes like. Not this bullshit that's coming out. <laughs> there you go. Well, I mean, it's... You it's, seem angry. Are you angry True to fact, I mean, I have, I have mad respect for what JK's done and Martin House has done. They're, they're honing in and, you know, clamping down on something that others aren't doing. I mean, JK's obviously shifting constantly, but the little farmhouse, the thing they set up, you know, what they're doing is unique. They're, one of the coolest things they did was bring in home brewers to be a part of their process, which can be good for industry, but also bad for product. They're a, still learning. A home sure. brewer fucking yeah. sucks. I'll tell that right now because I've tasted so many fucking home brews. It, it's nauseating. Please don't bring me your home brew. Please don't. Public service announcement. Yeah. So I do think that there's some advantages to what those guys have done too, though. Um, and obviously for a brewery like us is that Martin House uses the word sour. Jessica King doesn't on most of their stuff. But Martin House uses the word sour. So it has opened the market up. True. Whether you like that or not. I, oh, I do love because I love sours. <laughs> like, I've, I've always loved sours. I mean, the Duchess de Bourgogne was like one of my first that I ever tried. And fucking Flemish Reds are my baby i love those those really expanding my palate so i like that people are doing sours but you cannot compare the duchess to anything martin house makes 
because the Duchess is traditional and it is made the way it's supposed to be made. It's not just like, hey, let me throw some fucking cherries in this and see what happens. Like, well, Duchess is also mixed culture with uh, three distinct lines of flavor coming from them. And that's one of the things that most people, there's a blog post I did years ago about why I don't make sour beer. And that's the reason, like most guys are doing sour beer with, I guess it's mixed culture in the sense that they use Saccharomyces, like regular brewer's yeast, but it's pretty much just a lactic acid show. Like it's mm-hmm. all lactic acid up front. A uh, little bit of residual sweetness to balance it out, but um, you know, Duchess is damn near bone dry. It's got a little bit of that vinegar oxidation to it, but balanced in a way that's not overpowering. It's a much more complex, unique, and interesting drink. Oh, they really aren't the same category, and absolutely that was sort not. of the argument that I made. But. Yeah, absolutely not. I completely yeah. agree. You know, you can't compare. Well, I'm not going to make a <laughs> uh oh an example. I'll leave that out of there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So um, we kind of went right into mistake four with that one. So brew whatever's popular instead of what's profitable is the thing from the book. And so in the book, I talk about like how breweries have picked what they're going to make. And one of the things that I saw more and more of the more breweries I talked to is that there's a lot of guys that are making things that they think is cool or they, they think they need to make a double IPA, even though they have no fucking clue how to do it, instead of if they were home brewing and they did a great job with more traditional styles, or they're a Belgian-inspired brewery. Instead of sticking with what they know and what they're good with, they're just throwing out garbage that... And one of the prefaces for that is I, I can't stand when guys are just making hazy IPAs or even a kind of a regular quote-unquote IPA. The Texas IPA market is 90% shit to me in this, because most of them aren't passionate about it. You get a few guys that are passionate about it, and they're fantastic. But everyone thinks they've got to check the box. So you've got a portfolio of... And eight different beers. One of them is an IPA. You're not you're not good at making the IPA, but you still fucking make it because it still fucking sells. I well, think that I sucks. mean, yeah, but it's like before, say, um, you know, having a, a light beer option, you should just have a nice uh, array of beers to choose from, from a light, easy drinking beer to a malty, you know, amber to a pale ale, an IPA, a stout, a porter. I mean, you don't have to do everything, but pick something in each kind of color, class, clarity that people would go to because when you in in my world I get to hear the stupidest fucking questions that it, it's baffling when you hear these things You're like oh well I don't drink dark beer like well, what does that fucking mean yeah they don't drink the one dark beer they had they didn't like the taste of and they've just extrapolated out that they all taste that dark beer is I mean are you talking about a brown ale an amber a porter a stout I mean they're obviously talking about a fucking stout Usually, because those are the people that are just ignorant to fact that not beer tastes like the color of it. Don't judge the beer by the color. And if I've lived on that statement ever since I worked here at New Braunfels Brewing Company, the, the Shiva's Tears mm-hmm. uh, that Weizenbach you had, phenomenal, especially with its kick-ass ABV, um, which it was really hidden in there. But you drink that, and it, it does not taste like what you would expect it tastes like because it is a black beer it's very dark you're thinking super roasty uh super bitter because you know that's what people are accustomed to or the one beer someone is trying but just to say i don't drink dark beer how fucking what does dark taste like please tell me explain to me what fucking dark is like yeah i like when i ask those people that question and like what do you actually drink and then we get back to red wine there's as much if not more flavor in a lot of red wines so then we can sort of, but through the education, bring them back into trying other things. Don't give me a fucking color choice. Tell me your style. <laughs> yeah. I don't like anything purple. Well, me either. Yeah, I wouldn't either. <laughs> I stopped drinking grape juice a long time ago. 
So when you first opened, obviously the market's changed from then to now. So when you first opened, what what are the kind of beers people were lining up for? Like what was the exciting beer of the day back then? Well, I think um, I think when we first opened, it was still uh, kind of a, a sour game because the industry held on with with JK's rise to power essentially <laughs> and becoming so world renowned, which still baffles me today. Of I mean, like again, I said mad respect for what they did, but getting the same level of respect around the world as, you know, a phenomenal 100-year-old Belgian brewery or 500-year-old, fuck, I don't know. Getting that kind of same comparable, like, oh, yeah, I know of them. They're great, blah, blah, blah. But you're like, what do you mean they're great? Like, they haven't really been around long enough to become great. Like, you're not great within the first few years. Even if you make a phenomenal product, you have to establish that over a long period of time. They had some beers too that I've missed pretty wildly. Um, oh, great, yeah. still within a range. I mean, they they definitely don't they don't miss quite as wildly as some guys, but they have some mm. that just the flavors don't make sense or they faded before release or whatever. Um, but ultimately, yeah. I think they still make great beer. But I get your point. Like to to compare them to some of those other guys, Jester King was lucky. They got one of the things that I don't think anyone has had in the industry except maybe one other brewery I've heard of recently. But one of their partners early on, Ron, came from the importing business the like I was part of Shelton Brothers early on and so he knew all the distributors nationwide yeah (laughs) Uh, unfortunately I was a big piece of the industry that we lost that's not good for at least not for guys like us but yeah I'm super sad about Shelton Brothers (laughs) yeah but Jessica King had the relationships early on and that was fantastic they were able to do some collabs with some of the world renowned breweries oh uh, yeah I mean that that definitely will help establish you know a good foundation and representation for yourselves but if you can get, you know, you know, Mikuler and, and businesses like that to collab with you, because I mean, I'm not in, I'm in the beer industry, but I'm not on the brewing side, so I don't know the the intricacies and complexities of getting someone to agree to a, a whole another brewery to agree with you to brew beer. I mean, I don't know if it's just, hey, we're friends, fuck it, let's do it, or hey, I know you have good product, we have good product, let's make this product together. I'm sure there's a whole, you see both, a whole yeah. level of stuff, you know. And, you know, you could see that in, like, Fair State and Alesmith doing a collab together. You're like, oh, okay, so two, like, big-name breweries doing it. You're like, okay. Like, right, makes sense. Yeah, you know, yeah. Well, that's not really helping them gain anything. They're just doing it for the fucking fun of it. Sure. So contrast that to today, then. So what are people lining up for now compared to what they were then? The hazy IPAs. It's still hazy for Hazy you? IPAs and those weird, well, hazies are, are here to stay, sadly enough. That East Coast trend started, and it is sticking because people think they want to drink an IPA, but they really just want juice. They just want sweet orange juice. That's honestly because <laughs> I, I say that because I have a fun story I can tell you uh, about your ex brewer uh, when I talked to him up at Fitzhugh, and what he told me, I was like, "Well, that just that is the fucking pinnacle of ha- I hate <laughs> I hate <laughs> hazy IPAs so much because of this." And, you know, any good brewer does the same. You know, this is all just a gimmick. It's all bullshit. Uh, but it sells. I mean, you can't get away from that. But sours are still here, but they're they're more, you know, what these people are calling sours, the slushies and smoothies. This is a yeah. Berliner Weiss with blackberry and yogurt and, uh, you know, graham cracker crumb and marshmallow and, you know, like whatever the fuck you're putting in. And you're like, well, that's not even beer anymore. 
Uh, why do you even have the word Berliner Weiss on there? Or ale. You should just be putting, oh, this is alcohol with fruit. Like It's barely even sour at that point. The uh, There's so much residual, like, unfermented sweetness in it. Oh, yeah. It kind of balances it out. Except for some, uh, some of the fruits they put in, if you're doing raspberries, some of the big ones, obviously you're getting acid from that. But for the most part, the idea yeah, was... Yeah, well, their tartness comes from the, the, the tart berries or fruit they put in there. Yeah. You know, it's not a... Like, I, I wish... Give me that Berliner Weiss, please. Give me that, and then I'll tell you. <laughs> I want to try that out, see if you did it right, and then you can add all your other bullshit. Which, you know, I'm not trying to badmouth the breweries that are doing it, because they're obviously... It doesn't matter what the fuck I think or say... They're very successful, so you know, kudos to them for finding a niche in a niche industry and and just going with it, running with it. And you could see, you know, a few breweries, like a small brewery, doing that alone and succeeding and be able to expand. And if that helps them expand and make, you know, your more traditional styles, then I'm all for it. If it helps them stay open, because I mean, part of why I've never opened the brewery, it's fucking expensive. And, you know, you don't, you're not going to become rich. The only time you're going to become rich is if you sell it to those rich assholes. That's the only time you're going to become rich in the beer industry. You know, doesn't matter how much work you put into it. You know, you're not going to become a fucking billionaire. <laughs> unless you started a billionaire. <laughs> yes, unless you started as a billionaire. Correct. Or, or if you're, if you're uh, somehow smart enough to convince a, a company to buy you for a billion dollars. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Which absolutely no brewery's worth a billion dollars. Not not a single fucking one. Well, the only one that sold for a billion dollars then sold again for an quote unquote undisclosed sum. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure, sure it was like a hundred million. Yeah, they got lost <laughs> their ass on that deal. Oh, absolutely. So why what do you think has changed for the consumer? Like why why were they lining up for one thing before and now they're lining up for this? Like what the fuck's wrong with them? What, what's going on? Uh, people just want to chase fads and trends. I mean, social media does not do us any favors with that you know it's great for the shareable stuff and you know promoting your products but it also is you know essentially downfalling people are just trying to make good product you know it's it's people just wanting to chase the next hashtag or trend or fad or whatever's up next you know what's weird and what can i you know get that nobody else has same same idea going back to labels um, you know what? What kind of buy that has as much bullshit in it as I can? You know, it's 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 really the direction it's gone. I mean, it's not taking a stranglehold in the industry, which is nice. Because if that happened, then I don't know what the fuck I would do. Because <laughs> I'd probably just move to Germany, <laughs> just drink good German beer, just solid lager <laughs> all day long. That's yeah. fine with me. It's fine with me. So, question then: What um, what do you think the next five years holds? And, and I'll preface that by saying my opinion is that. The industry has moved away from the flavor of beer. And every time you turn around, I'm like, well, we can't go any further than that. But we clearly do. And so uh, we're going somewhere. Where do you think we're going? You're frontline guy. Tell me tell me what the industry's doing. Uh, I think in my professional opinion, we will, we will make full circle. I don't think it'll just keep driving in these weird fucking directions. Just like a new craft beer drinker. You know, they're new to drinking craft beer, so they start drinking lagers and pilsners or kolsches. Then they move on typically to IPAs. You know, they go from one light beer with no flavor to, you know, a multi hoppy beer. And then they'll go to uh, either your porters or stouts. 
and then they're going to jump on the sour wagon and they're going to hang out there for a while and then they're going to come right back to loggers and be like dude i'm fucking tired of all these crazy flavors i just want something i can drink you know it's why do you think budweiser or miller or uh coors are still fucking selling like, yeah they're always the eventual answer around. yeah they're 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 um they're holding the market they're decreasing in what they're uh i mean they still have a lot of ground in the market obviously but uh, it's shown in the last few years the cracker industry has been upticking and their market share has been dropping, which, you know, fuck them, I don't care. But that still proves that they're they're still there, alive and well, and people are still drinking those light beers. You know, we could say shitty and all that, but at the end of the day, they're light beers. You can drink all day. And I think we'll come back to that. And I think the cracker industry will make a good enough push, at least the ones with enough groundwork they have enough footing out there mm. that they can really push product like um example ob oscar blues you know people shit on them but they make great product you know at the end of the day they, they make a solid product that's very consistent and it's fairly priced they just released uh, a brand new lager oscar's lager and that thing is the closest in the craft beer industry i've tasted to uh, taste like a bud light like really it, it just it pours out almost clear <laughs> We were doing our event yesterday, and people were laughing, like, is that fucking beer? Or did you just pull water out? And I'm like, ha-ha, we got Bud Light jokes going on. Like, yeah, right. Like, and it actually tastes like a Bud Light. And it's price point. I think it's like 16 bucks for a 15-pack. So, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's very, and, and I hope that we push a little more for that. Like, bring people back to, you know, just your basic beer. Why people drank beer all the time anyways? They drank it all the time hundreds of years ago because the only clean and viable option purified water yeah, essentially. to keep you fucking alive yeah. so low ABV light beers were the thing um, but now it's you know refrigeration all that bullshit and, and fruit and everybody wants diabetes for some fucking reason but I think it will come back <laughs> I think it will come back um, that's my hope I'm not going to say it's a prediction but I hope just like the craft beer drinker does his little incline and then he comes right back to his traditional lagers, Kolsch's, you know, easy drinking beers. And I think the industry will do the same. It'll take a longer time, obviously, because it's a full industry versus one person drinking. Sure. So it, it takes everybody involved, but that that's what I think. I, th- I think it'll be back. I'm hoping. I'm, I'm crossing my fingers because I want, I want the industry to continue to thrive. Do weird shit. I don't care. Fucking, you know, piss in your beer and, and call it juice. I don't give a shit. People will buy it, but at the end of the day, make good product. I don't want good traditional products. You know, I don't need to be the fancy, the pinkies up beer guy, but I think now I want to go back home and if it's hot sun, drink a light beer or just drink a Pilsner. I want to be a crispy boy from time to time. You, know? <laughs> you are a crispy boy. <laughs> oh, no, no. I'm not the crispy boy. <laughs> we all know who the crispy boy is. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, we're going to take a quick break and uh, come back. Thank you. Before the late 90s, when you wanted to know what year Napoleon invaded Russia, you'd have to either A, pay attention in class, B, know somebody who knew, or C, look it up in an encyclopedia. Thankfully, my kids don't have to look in 30 volumes of Britannica to find answers anymore, and neither should you. When you're fermenting beer in a closed tank, you can either use the hydrometer that was invented in 1790, go check it up on Google, or AccuBrew. And AccuBrew is a real-time web-based measurement system that gives you access to your beer's fermentation metrics from literally anywhere in the world. It measures current gravity, temperature, and even clarity, and compares them to the standards you set for the recipe your team is brewing. If something's off, you'll get a notification immediately. So seriously, go to AccuBrew.com, 
Follow them on socials at AccuBrew or just call Parker at 727-685-9860. Your beer, your customers, and I will truly thank you. If he were interested in anything his old dad was interested in, my son would say it's something like, y'all need to be fucking with PR. Your booze business is more than just an online profile. Fine. Keep doing your limited can release and your meet the beer tender post. But it's time to think bigger than just cheesy marketing. Better. More professional. Brittany Hanning has years of experience turning big ideas into targeted communication in the beverage alcohol business. And her PR firm, Made to Measure Communications, can tighten your image with expert services ranging from AI generation all the way to media relations. See, people in this industry love to talk about the importance of branding and media outreach, but don't kid yourself for a second. You need an expert to navigate that stuff. So go to the website at M2MCOMMS, M2MCOMS, look them up in San Francisco, or just ask me for Brittany's number. But seriously, stop screwing around and get your image right today. Welcome back. So, one of my favorites, mistake six. If you fuck up, don't dump it. A lot of breweries are sending out whatever they have to because, you know, they've got a full tank. They've got to monetize the tank. Have you ever had a recall in your place? So, someone coming back and having to buy back all the whatever you bought, cases, kegs, whatever. <laughs> you asked me if I can get distributors to buy shit back. Yeah, that's a fucking joke. Really? Even if they know it's fucked up? Like, do you tell them? It's like full, pulling teeth, man. Like, get over here. Oh, yeah, I'll, be, I'll, do, I'll take care of it when I'm there next. And, like, you didn't do it again. Like, it's... No, we really haven't had uh, any major recalls. I've only had one beer that popped in the store that actually blew up and I just moved all that and instead of wasting my time trying to get these distributors to fucking buy their beer back because it's it's so much wasted time in my own breath like I just I'm tired of it like it's it's not even worth the fucking you know $30 they're gonna buy back whatever yeah so what I've done is just incorporate into my food products like yeah fuck it it's bad beer no one's gonna fucking taste it if I cook it Okay. <laughs> so have you had um, beers that came in that you did, like no one told you, but you had like a bad keg or just uh, some, a product that you normally know is supposed to taste a certain way and all of a sudden. Absolutely. But if it's, if that's ever been the case, like a bad keg come in, they'll come switch it out. That like that, that is usually not a problem. It's packaging really is <laughs> the issue. Um, you see that across the board with all the distributors or is there? Oh, absolutely. Of- all distributors are paid in the dick. Some are a little better. Um, and that's that's and that's not on the distributor. That's on the rep. Oh, okay. I mean, the reps they tend to go out of their way to take care of things, which you know, I would think a good sales rep would. But it's disappointing that they have to put their time, effort, and sometimes their own money into it just to make their clients happy, instead of the business doing the right fucking thing, um, and taking care of them. You know, hey. Yeah, go over there and take care of them. No, the reps over like, oh yeah, I just I went to the store and bought this so I can replace yours. You're like, you went to a fucking store and bought a product. Yeah, you see that more often than I would think. Than but. just taking it out of your inventory. But that also goes back to you know the piss poor regulation that we have in this state. You know, like I said, we're still behind. We're still doing you know, baby steps. It's a fucking push up the hill because. Ultimately, the beer industry here, the distributors have the feet. They they have the foundation. They win on both angles. Yeah, they make the, the rules. Bre- the and brewers the- and the, the retailers, even though all they do is a fucking middleman. They move product from one place to the other. They don't do shit. 
Do you have a distributor that you love? Distributors that I love? I mean, are you are you asking if it's the distributor or the rep? Well, reps unfortunately leave, so... Um, yes, I'm very aware. And <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm having a situation now because a rep left. And um, I'm dealing with, you know, a new rep. Everybody handles things the same, so yeah, or cares about you as much as the other guy did for whatever reason. Yeah, truth, truth. Um, yeah, so um, they're always a struggle, in other words. But yeah, you should uh, always dump bad beer. You should. You should always dump bad beer. Don't, don't sell it. So in the book, I go through a lot about like how you how we build our tap room, and and ultimately, I think especially back in the day when I, we first opened, it was in Texas. You couldn't have a tasting room, so it was a um, like tour driven model where you buy it a glass and we uh, arbitrarily fill it with something it happens to be beer uh, yes. but um, you buy a tour you get a glass and oh if it happens to have beer in it I mean yeah. yeah but so obviously we've had to change that model and now I think uh, more so than ever it's important that a brewery have a self-sustaining tasting room that operates effectively as a bar um, like we uh, have yeah of course we have guest beer you want to have food the, the brew pub model going forward is the one that's going to dom- dominate our industry but Which conversely, that obviously directly com- com- uh, is competition for you. So Yes yes and no. So that was my question. How much do you think that's competition to you and how much does that affect? I have talked to retailers that won't sell certain beers in their place because the brewery is either down the street or it's a dollar cheaper at the tasting room. Um, or, or well, that's, that's just stupid. Like price that, I mean, that's obviously just a... Random number or example, but um, fact is, breweries are not open all the time. Typically, breweries are open on your weekends, Thursdays through Sunday. You know, so the availability is not there. Plus, usually, a lot of times they're very limited hours because they have a limited staff, mm-hmm. much like a good craft beer bar. You know, but most of their labor is being put into making the fucking beer, not their tap room. Obviously, they're going to make money in the tap room, but their focus is the product. So they need, and this is just my view on it. I obviously don't own a brewery; wouldn't wouldn't know the intricacies of costs. But uh, no, I don't find it um, like a bad idea to carry that product because it's you know already in town. I find it actually a good thing. You know, hey, we we have this. Go try them out, and that that just makes us look good because it was a good recommendation. Mm-hmm. And they can go check them out and they can taste them. And the hope is that they come back to us. They'll you know? trust you for the next recommendation. Oh, yeah. They'll point. come back and they'll, they'll choose us. Not to say, you know, we, we don't do as well as, say, Guadalupe. I mean, they fucking blow it out of the water every damn day. Uh, anytime I'm there, there's at least 20 people. I mean, it's great. They've had 10 years to build that. But I don't find them as a direct competitor because what they offer is their own product and maybe some other some other products but it's all Guadalupe mm-hmm. compared to our establishment where it's you know we have hundreds of different options of beer um, and and I feel like the craft beer establishments or craft beer bars or t- in tap rooms they don't get as much recognition I think as they should um, because I think they're a huge um, a huge part of the community when it comes to the wealth of knowledge and uh, the product availability I mean, so the, the 
the, almost, the the worst news we've heard recently is you know in Denver, uh, Falling Rock, you know one of the yeah. the best craft beer tap rooms out there. Um, they're shutting down, and it's like, well, why? Why are they shutting down? Um, is it because they didn't get the love that they were, were supposed to get? You know, you know, it's these these places are trying to support others, but they're not getting that support back from the customers, and that's what we're hoping to get is get that support. Yeah, you could buy you could buy their product at any point at time in the week. You know, breweries are only, say uh, New Braunfels Brewing is only four to nine Thursday, Friday, <coughs> compared to off roads, which is open noon to ten almost every single day. So we have that option of you know being open because our focus is all the tap room. We don't have to focus any other labor anywhere else. We don't have investments in other other places. So yeah, it's it's not really um, a competition in my opinion. I think it's. Um, you know, an equal foundation of us sharing the wealth and, and, uh, the customer base, you know, it's, it benefits us both. You tra- are you strategic about it in the sense that you try to either not have core SKUs or only have core SKUs, or are you looking for more one-off kegs and packages or does it even matter at that point? Well, I mean, um, if the brewery does really good product, we definitely want to carry their cores. I mean, examples like ABW. Like Awesome View Works, they have a phenomenal core lineup, but they also do some with great branding, by the way. Yeah, very colorful. Yeah, and they've had the same branding for a long time, so they're easily recognized. Even though I have ran into people as of recently, like, well, what's Fire Eagle? I'm like, <laughs> you don't know what a fucking Fire Eagle is? Like, you're drinking craft beer. Like, Fire Eagle, pretty standard American IPA, been around forever. Uh, in the successes of Texas craft beer world, um, obviously not compared to other states and their yeah. uh, longevity of their breweries. But, <clears throat> you know, everybody in the craft beer world knows what the fucking ABW Fire Eagle is. It's pretty standard. Um, but we do like to keep, you know, core products because we want to show off what the breweries are capable of because I feel if you make good core products, people will come back for the. Uh, the crazy ones like Martin House also example their their Bach make a good Bach they make a good Pilsner they've got a good uh, IPA but we carry maybe two to four of the cores and then a fuck ton of their weird fucking sours because people will buy those that's what they wait in line for yeah exactly so it's you know it's we want to make sure that they're like oh fuck I go for this well I didn't know they made an IPA because these people didn't even know that they made core beers but yeah we want to make sure that there is you know, a good lineup. Not not just weird, unique, rare stuff. You know, we want to have some items that you could find other places. Yeah. Because then it uh, it's it's recognition. It's like, oh yeah, I know them. I've seen them. I've had them. Oh, they make other things. Like it's that that's part of the game. Okay. Cool. Well, so um, another one of the questions, kind of on that same line, is. I, I personally cannot stand online beer reviews. I think it's the worst fucking thing that's happened to our industry um, in the last 10 years for sure, particularly untapped. But um, as a retailer, do you look at untapped reviews or any online beer rating site to decide on a product that you may or may not bring in? On occasion, very rare because it's usually a one-off or something that a brewery's made or mm-hmm. – you know, a seasonal that I, we haven't had yet that, or is making it to the area. Meaning that you'll go look on there if, you least, if you're not familiar with it. Yes. Okay. I'll at least take a, take a review of their description of the beer and, you know, 
Yes, and yeah, I completely agree that the online review system, you know, customer based on customer reviews, it's all that shit sucks. Like, because people don't know how to fucking write review. That's why there are. Uh, that's why they're professionals. You know, t- taste testers mm-hmm. and stuff. There are professional foodies that go out and eat and write proper reviews. You know, they actually go into depth of what it's about. Yes, it has, in a way, ruined it. But it's also given, you know, customers an opportunity to express their opinion on it, even though a lot of them are shit. It had potential, I think, is one of the problems with it. And I I do believe that, uh, or uh, sorry, Beer Advocate was a force for good in the industry. Um, That if you go back and look at most of the people who have written on there, and, and I'm primarily using my reviews as an example, but I have looked at other breweries as well. Um, even the people who didn't like my beer on, on on Beer Advocate were explaining why, and I think that's helpful. That's oh, absolutely. It wasn't just this beer was gross, one star. You're like, what? Well, I use the example in, in my book. I actually have a comic strip that I wrote about one of the untapped check-ins that I saw uh-huh. about someone who went online, went to Untapped, never drank the beer, got mad at me for a post that I did um, that. Ted talked shit about one brewery they liked, mm. went on Untapped and gave me a half cap star or whatever, mm. and um, said, This guy's an asshole. That's it. So it had nothing to That's do with not the That's not even beer. a product review. Go to Google like everyone else and yeah. put it on Google. And just put and, it on Google yeah. like every asshole. <laughs> but don't don't try to negatively rate the beer as not tasting good because you didn't like me. You're not you're not having the right conversation at that point. And I think that's well, there's a million problems with Untapped, but one of the big ones is that Oh, absolutely. It's, it's too much popularity. Freedom. Yeah. yeah. But you know, with the, when it comes to Untapped, we use Untapped. We like it because it's a it's a good platform for our customers uh, to keep track of their stuff. And for me, it's like an encyclopedia. You know, oh, I can look something up if as long as the breweries put the beer on and their description, I can look it up. Their ABV, mm-hmm. uh, usually their their you know what batch it is or in depth description. Some don't put anything. Some put full paragraphs. So it all depends. Um, or their style that they 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 claim it to be, um, but with Untapped you really have to take it with a grain of salt. Everything, and they have a zero through five star rating system. No, it, it's three to four stars. Mm-hmm. Everything it, it stays between three and four, and it's be, you have to look at it that way because if uh, you try to look at it the one one you, you're gonna shit like you got but yeah this guy's an asshole you know 2.25 oh this guy pays for untapped i'm like he did a point one. yeah because <laughs> you get i didn't learn this till recently but uh, you could pay for untapped and get uh more digits yeah, yeah to your ratings and i'm like why though <laughs> i would get emails from people that were and i'm not going to say the term correctly but untapped I don't even know what they were actually. I can lie to you. But he, I got an email from a guy. He said, "I'm an untapped whatever. I'm trying to verify a listing." And it was a random person, like a someone who just goes and posts. It has a handle. It wasn't someone that worked for Untapped. Oh, but they were just sort of like self policing the listings. And so, what the fuck? Um, he could go in and make changes and, and whatever. What? And I just I thought, what a what a strange environment where. Um, clearly, it's going to be you know the, the worst among us that choose to be that and that yeah, are wow, the pickiest. What? Like, you know, why would you want that as your organization? Who has that fucking kind of time, like, <laughs> or desire? Yeah, I don't yeah. know. 
Or, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, want to truly do that. But yeah, uh, like I said, untapped grain of salt, you know, anything that rates close to four, typically a highly rated beer. Anything that goes close to three is typically a low rated beer. I mean, even your like 3.4, that's a, that's a good beer. It's an average beer. But I don't typically look at that number because, I mean, I've gotten some phenomenal, be- phenomenal beers in that had a rating of like 3.3. Three. I'm like, this is better than that. Like, yeah. But you'll also get on that, you'll also get on that stupid fucking app and you'll read a review. It's like, this is one of the best products that I've had. I had to have two. I took a bottle home. You know, it's such wonderful aromatics, flavor, blah, 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 blah. Four stars. <laughs> why? You, you just said it changed your life and gave why you Why the fuck did you not give it? <laughs> How not the best you ever Max, had. I mean. Yeah. Well, then you also have, like, it's, I know it's Paul bullshit. Ford was one of the first people early on at Brandstein that would do that as a brewer. He would go on every single thing he ever made and be the first guy to post, and he would put five stars for every beer. Like, Come on, dude. Like. Man, Some I, of the stuff you make's okay, but sucking your own dick big time. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, you got called out for it. And then there were a bunch of guys. At least that. get somebody else to fucking do that. Don't right? That's what your sister's don't be an for. Idiot. <laughs> right. God. Well, well we, you know, Branch Line. You know, there is a reason why they're not here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, and there's quite a few. I'm trying to get um, them to come on the show. I sent them a message, but we'll we'll see. Um, they're local, and they definitely were an early part of the San Antonio story. So I, I think. Yeah, they they could have been a great success. Yeah, they just they had potential. Yeah, I mean, they had some good products. They had some good names. They uh, they had good brewers. Uh, I mean, I don't know the intricacies of their financials, but they did not manage things well. And then the incident happened uh, when you when you blame your customers for your oh, lack of success. Release? Yeah, I mean. It's probably the stupidest thing you can do. Because they did a stout with Cascade in it. So it was like the uh, grapefruity stout. It was a weird beer to begin with, but they got pissed off at the market for not supporting it. Yeah, but it's like you can't attack your your customers. You can't. Any, like, yeah. You're going to isolate yourself, and then you're going to fail. I mean... They're one that, thankfully, I think Jason had another job, and I think he still has that job, so... Um, he, he quote unquote landed on his feet. Um, you know, depending how much the bankruptcy hurt him, but um, yeah. And I've actually still seen up until about last year, I'd still see their stuff on the shelves. Shut the fuck up. Where? Um, and and I, what? I know when uh, when Witchcraft moved its old location to the new one. I think they did not bring any of the old three hundred branch line <laughs> beer with them, but they, I think they had some still. Um, <laughs> and the specs here in town, the liquor store, they had their second anniversary for years like they had like a case in the back that you know you had two left on the shelf and you could never sell the two so they never oh yeah we run into that i don't know what they finally did with it but i'm sure no one came in and bought it it was a that one actually was unfortunately infected i think it was a belgian triple maybe and and it was it was sour but you know it was early on they hadn't figured out to do bombers yet um as many people didn't just a huge example of jester king and that's up for debate if you ask Jeff why they went sour but part of what we we went full full mixed culture was the same thing we played around with some things uh, making some sour beers and then we ended up having to make all sour beers because we had to make a choice to do one no more sours or some and or all and so we did all so it is what it is but yeah um so I have a couple of just sort of simple questions for you um one of the things that intrigues me about your model and kind of how you guys have to work at retail is that 
um, how like how you would manage cash flow with such a fixed return on investment. Um, it just it terrifies me from the perspective of as a brewery, you know, people like to make jokes that we make all the money. Uh, and I use a lot of examples in the industry yeah. about, or in my book about how that's not always the case. It can Distributors be. make all the money. We got a, we can get up to like a 70% margin um, depending on at least brewing margin. Um, but you guys are fixed. I mean, like you say, right. in general, um, you know, like I said, somewhere between 20 and, uh, 25 and 35% is what most of the retailers tend to take on a margin. Um, that's, not, that's not a lot of money. Absolutely not. So, but that, but that is for our to-go product only, the low margins. Sure. Um, Dine-in, obviously, our margins are much higher, and it has to counterbalance. Um, the old location, we used to do more dine-in versus to-go, but there was obviously a correlation to that. Part of our bottle shop being in the back room, no one really knows about it, wasn't as right. present. Uh, and also our large patio, you know, a, a couple of other variables in there that help the dine-in part work better. Uh, but this new, pretty much we're just a new version of Off-Roads again. We are doing... Better version. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for that. Um, Although I did like the old house thing. That was a cool kind of like... Oh, absolutely. Just a nice feel niche. to it, but... Yeah, the little um, quaint house. It was the cute. scalability wasn't there. There weren't enough seats inside, so we, yeah. We were outgrowing that place within the first year. Like, just that building could not handle us, um, especially with what we wanted to do. You know, plus, you know, having to hide my fucking bottle shop. It sucked. I did what I could, <laughs> and it worked for the most part, but... This is much, it works much better here. But with that, with our bottle shop up front in the dining room, um, we are outpacing our dining sales. I mean, partly due, you know, for the last year of the pandemic, that didn't really help much by, you know, Governor Asshat shutting us down. <laughs> um, yeah, fuck that guy. Fuck Governor Abbott. That guy's a piece of shit. Um, yeah, that, for those of you who don't know, that's the current governor of Texas that yeah. um, many people are angry about from last year. Uh, from some failed policies. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, um, you know, partly doing with the pandemic, most people staying at home, just buying to go. Uh, that obviously, you know, sits side by side with why we're doing better in the bottle shop. But, you know, we're coming out of this this pandemic. People are opening more back up. Uh, they're going out. But we're still showing to be a better bottle shop than we are a tap room still. And, you know, in a way, it's frustrating, but our margins are so low, we're scraping by as is. We've been scraping by since we opened, and that's because of our low margins on the bottle shop. You know, those 30% to 50% that we we set, you know, that's not going to pay the bills. Sure. Like, when you have to reinvest that into product, you're talking, you know, two-thirds of what you just sold has to go right back into your fucking product. Well, and that's the only thing about Texas that's a uh, challenge. Some states don't do that, but we're COD here. So every um, everything of beer you buy, you have to pay cash for, essentially. Uh, you can use FinTech, but it still comes out of your account within the next 40 hours. Oh, so. yeah, the fucking check-on-demand bullshit. Yeah. Everybody else, other, other alcohol, they can they can have a, you know, net 15s or net 30s. Yeah, I got a case they, of wine delivered from one of my favorite Texas wineries, and I don't even think I have an invoice yet. Yeah, <laughs> they don't have to pay up front. It's... it's <laughs> fucking nonsense yeah but then when you ask them to you know hey pick up your fucking keg shells so i get my money back like i don't know 
you didn't make an order or, you know, oh, it's too many shells. We're going to owe you money. I'm like, then fucking give me my money. Like, I got one that I had never heard of before. <clears throat> I had a distributor come drop off product and they had a keg shell for it, but they wouldn't take the shell uh-huh. because it was a hot shot. Yep, that's... And yep. I was like, what that the fuck's the difference? Like, you're... You because, want, because that person would have to take it back to the... Uh, yeah, I knew... Take it back what, to the warehouse that day. I knew what he meant, but he wasn't clear to me that it was because he was lazy. That's what it, yeah. he should have said. Ultimately, I don't fucking want to. Yeah. <laughs> I went out of my way to bring this to you. I'm not taking that back. And you're like, so you're just saying fuck you, right? Yeah. Because th- that's man. literal money just sitting right there that you owe me back. Yeah, you know, it was a deposit. I gave exactly. it to you on, on you credit. Give me my fucking money back. Yeah. <laughs> so what? What? Uh, obviously, the mistakes that are in the book. You know, a lot of them. The ones we went through today. But what's a mistake that you've seen breweries make that I didn't mention? What I miss? Uh, I mean, biggest mistake is outing yourself, or say calling a customer out, or <laughs> you know. You've obviously handled it way better than other breweries that attempted. You can make arguments on both sides of that one, but yeah. You're still here? Yeah. <laughs> so, you've been here for, what, eight years now? Seven years? Uh, I moved in this building in 2012, so it's been nine, nine years. Technically, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the first year doesn't count. We we tore, we had to tear everything down because we did. I, I should have written a book right then about why I'm not going to spend another eight years in this industry, but I didn't. Um, <laughs> and but nah, I, had a, I had a lot of fun. I don't regret it at all, but... Uh, the first year was by far the worst year. So. Yeah. Um, the, there is a difference how you do it. You know, you basically are uh, retaliating or uh, not not retaliating. That's a strong word. You are. Uh, Sometimes I am. <laughs> you, you're replying to people's comments and thoughts and posts, which is different than just saying, hey, fuck you guys. You're right. not supporting me. You're like, hey, no, no, no. What you just said was bullshit, and this is why. You know, there's a little more in depth to it. Yeah, and, and you've created a big hatred towards you of uh, a following, almost essentially. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's funny. Over the last few months, because um, I realized that these guys that are, are on there saying all this shit, the more back and forth that we do, the comments that they put on there, the hatred that they spit out, that actually helps my algorithm and ultimately makes the posts shown to more people and the, the subsequent posts shown to more people. Yeah. So ultimately, they are making me more money. So I appreciate each and every one of them. Oh, absolutely. And have a I mean, blast it's just like your, uh, your, your, uh, your attack, but also your respect to Martin House for helping you out. You know? Yeah. Well, fuck these guys, but thanks. My pickle beer is great. So now <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Yeah, no, you'll actually appreciate on that one. So, you know the story behind Martin House Fucker and, like, why. Like, why oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and just, I was literally just having fun. But, um, and I didn't get quite the attention that I wanted, even though there's a lot of negative attention for it. So, Martin House just got label approval through TTB for a grapefruit, or I'm sorry, a grape soda one. Which a grape I'm, soda pickle beer? Which I'm making next week. <laughs> um, but at least I'm going to make the test batch next week of 75 gallons. And so, ultimately, the whole idea is that. Um, since they've been copying me, I should now copy them. Ah, <laughs> so, I like that. <laughs> I don't know I what I'm going to call it. Flip the script. So, yeah, I'm going to have some fun with it. So, uh, and, and I'm sure I'll get more hate mail. And um, no one will actually come down and try to fight me because they're a bunch of big fucking wusses. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I'm, I, I'm enjoying the hate. Uh, but, yeah, you know, they say uh, any publicity is good publicity, even if it's negative. Uh, as long as you're getting your name out there. Right. Yeah, people know you, even though, even though it might not be in the the best view. 
more <laughs> angle. Yeah, well, that's funny though. Like if you look, and obviously I talk to my fans, but when a lot of that shit's going down, the people that hate me already just comment negatively and hate me more. Yeah, the people that are our fans get the joke, they love it, they comment to me, they act, they send me personal texts, and they're like, "Dude, set aside a case of that for me." Um, so at the end of the day, there's one of those things. I think Tim Ferriss said it when I that I heard, and I'm sure many other people have said it also. But he had a pretty succinct way of just saying that, like, at the end of the day, when I wake up. I go to work. My job is to create content that'll intrigue the people that are my fans. Uh, if I spend my time trying to create content for the people that hate me so that I can make them into fans, not only will I not make any money, but I'll probably wind up shooting myself in the head um, after a week. So it, ultimately, the whole point is I'm, I'm here for my fans. And yeah. if you're not my fan, I'd fuck, fuck you. I don't care. Uh, who cares? Yeah. I ain't got time for that. Your opinion doesn't matter then. Like, yeah. I mean, we can listen to it, sure. Yeah, but it's um, not when it comes to what I'm making and what I'm doing for people who love what I do. Yeah, and, and there's no amount of things that I could do to make that person love me. It's yeah. just not going to happen. So uh, it's, I mean, like in music, like a country singer is not going to become a fucking, um, I don't know, a rocker or a metal. Yeah, you know, right. Heavy metal because someone's like, you should do heavy metal. You fucking country suck. You know, that's just dumb. Like, <laughs> you I think focus on who loves you, and if there is hatred, you know what? Yeah, you can listen to it, but over. <laughs> In the end, just, all right, pit, pit her off now. Just go on. Like. Yeah. <laughs> so to clarify, Aaron Lewis did do that, but he went from suicide rock to country, so it's a little different. So. <laughs> all right. So um, what would you say to somebody who is considering opening a bottle shop? Girl walks in and says, hey, I got some money. I want to open a bottle shop. What's your advice for me? Uh, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, do it if uh, you really have the passion for it. Um, much like the brewing industry, um, bottle shops, you're, we're not making a fuck ton of money as we discuss margins. It's very yeah. small because we have to compete, you know, bottle shop, he's just saying a bottle shop or a concept like ours, a bottle shop tap room. Um, the way your advice would be not to do a bottle shop only, right? So absolutely. Be, don't, yeah. don't do, I mean, don't do what witchcraft did initially, like great concept, but you'll never make enough money to really succeed because the margins are too small when it comes to the beer industry. It's, it's insane. Um, and that's why they moved their other place, which is a bottle shop at a tap room. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, they're still succeeding there. I presume, uh, I go there every time I go up to Austin, you yeah. know, I actually interviewed him for the podcast. Um, I, I loved what they were doing and, you know, honestly, I modeled a lot of, you know, their concept, uh, onto my business because I thought it was great. You know, I'm like, Hey, you know, this works and it's what I would I would be here every day if I lived up in Austin yeah that would be my my place um, and they do they, have, they put it in a neighborhood they have a lot of people just come there and work or just oh, get yeah. out of the house and it's, go sit it's there it's fantastic I love their setup because you know it, it's you're doing the same thing that we're doing you know it's just showcasing what the world has to offer um, but my advice would be know, know your fucking beer and know your demographic and pick a bigger fucking city <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I joke about it all the time. Like, I think I may have picked the worst city in Texas to open a sour brewery. Yeah, um, man. It's a fucking German. It's, it's coming around, but the first few years of being mixed culture only were, holy shit. Just the, oh, yeah. Just the hatred people would spew on us when they'd walk in and ask us what we had that tastes like, like oh, Dos Equis. Yeah. Like, Dude, the fuck? <laughs> yeah, but whatever. So, uh, one question I love to ask everybody I talk to in this industry. and uh, Go for it. Open the bottle shop. I like competition. All right. 
One question I like to ask everybody in this industry that I talk to, it just, it just kind of intrigues me, but how has working um, at Off-Roads Craft Beer Station and even with the tour company, how, how has that affected your relationship to alcohol? And I'll be more clear, but for me personally, I found that um, you just, you, I don't get to drink as much because I enjoy it because I'm drinking so much more because it's my job. Yeah. That um, I, I actually have taken almost the last month off of drinking completely. Um, and I'm much happier. So it's an interesting, I'd like to hear everybody else's perspective, but how, how has the ready access to alcohol affected your relationship to alcohol? Well, I mean, it's obviously with it being more accessible, um, been harder to turn away on a daily basis. Um, it, uh, it hasn't necessarily turned me into uh, the functioning alcoholic I am today. Um, <laughs> I was already that. You can't blame it. Yeah. No, absolutely not. I just now I have a, uh, I have a, um, a business to support my habits. It's and, cheaper there and you go. provide better product. You know, ultimately that's what it comes down to. Because if I were to drink like the way I do today, I would probably be a poor, poor man. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I would be. Uh, I would be bankrupt. <laughs> but um, for me, it's just adding. You know, more options, uh, more availability, more items I can choose from. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely you know get, got me a little fattier, fatter and happier. Uh, you can even see it in the photos from the beginning till now, um, which in the same point is I'm working on you know getting off that. I've enjoyed. I've been on this ride for so long. Like I need to get my health back into order before I continue enjoying all the different products out there. So yes and no, like. All right. Well, so I think one of the important things is that you said. Um, that you're you're fatter and happier and i think that would be sort of the next follow-up is it do you so you still clearly love beer off the clock oh um, absolutely the, the rampant access to it the fact that you have to taste stuff that sucks the the issues you run into with distributors um the bad beer you've had to taste mm-hmm. those things aren't affecting your love of the industry and your love of being able to just sit at home on the back patio and open a beer well i mean funny enough i don't do a lot of drinking at home uh, when I get home, I'll typically I might have one beer for the night, and that's it. Maybe two if I if I got home early or I plan on staying up a little later. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, no, it, it hasn't affected in that way. I mean, it's actually I feel it's it's humbled my drinking a little um, because I have the accessibility and I've been able to drink as much as I can, as much as I want. So it's saying like, oh well. You don't have to. Like, it's not required. These things are not going to go away. Like <laughs> a beer will be there tomorrow. Exactly. <laughs> Unless it's Martin houses, then it all gets sold out. But yeah, yes, right. yes, certain ones you got to have. You know, one of them at least. Uh, but you know, I do. I, typically, now my habit tends to be at the end of shift, I'll have one or two. You know, hang out, talk with customers. You know, do my spiel. You know, mingle, do the fucking thing business owners should be doing. But then when I go home to the family, it's like I don't like to bring that home. Mm. Um, you know, as I feel drinking too much, you know, it, it can affect the family. You know, the, how they perceive you. You know, the way that it affects their the relationships with uh, you know, your spouse or kid. Mine particularly. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's not any different, I assure you. Yeah. yeah. So it's, um, you know, it's, and it's, it's teaching me to, to humble and control. Um, and I'm getting a little better at it. It's taking some time. That first year, 
yeah, I drank like a fucking uh, bat out of hell. You know, I just I drank as much as I wanted. And, Parties on, college time. Bad. Yeah, I was getting toasty a lot, and I realized that was not good. <laughs> not good for anyone. Not good for my business. I'm drinking too much. Customers seeing me all toasty. Uh, the wife's obviously not happy with me. That's most important. Most important, keep your wife happy. <laughs> Or spouse or whoever you're married to. I don't care. Right. Just whatever your love in your life, keep them happy. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's interesting. A lot of people have, I see that are successful in the industry have sort of figured out how to manage that. Yeah. Um, and it, uh, it takes time. I mean, because, I mean, you're like, well, it's, it's like opening uh, a brand new gaming console or getting a brand new car. Like, you want to just be in that car. You know, you want to. You want to hold your brand new phone, you know, find out everything it does. You, it just becomes uh, an addiction for a little bit, at least, you know, for for myself, you know, losing a little bit of control and then having to come back like, oh, okay, well, you know, I need to get my life back. You know, I need to get order. I need to not let, you know, certain things dictate what my decisions are. Yeah. Because ultimately you should have full control and alcohol definitely does not help with that. That's one of the reasons we like it, I think. Yeah, I mean, definitely. But, uh, you know, when you've had enough uh, tiresome and drinking or drunk conversations with people that were meaningless. Yeah. Um, because no one has a meaningful conversation while they're drinking, or at least a lot of drinking. Occasional sipping and stuff, or at least beginning of the night. <laughs> but going in depth and having full, trying to have full in-depth conversations they they never either end the way they're that you want them to or you don't fucking remember what you talked about <laughs> right what's the fucking it, point? it didn't make a change the next day anyways. exactly yeah it's, you know it's yeah, it's just enjoy enjoy the beer you know enjoy the time but then you know get back to it you know don't muddle yourself so much because I mean all, ultimately alcohol it just slowly kills us so mm -hmm. not not to end on a negative note. <laughs> But no, I got one just more Just learn to control. <laughs> that's the, and that's, the it's moral take, of the it's, story. It's taken time. And it takes time. And not everybody can get there. Especially, I mean, if, if you don't have control or you're an addicted personality, don't open a fucking bar. Don't open a tap room. Don't open, you know, an alcohol substance establishment at all. You know, just know your limitations. Just set yourself up for failure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the same reason I don't have kilos of cocaine laying around. I guess you know, I'm, just, I'm just glad I'm, I I don't have that addictive personality, and I can I can manage myself in that way. Yeah, we all love you know substances, but there is a degree of how much you should be doing. Sure. All right. Good advice. So, last question: <laughs> Who do you think's more of an asshole, you or me? Oh, I mean, um, I mean, I would say it's definitely you. Um, I am less of an asshole than I used to be, uh, but that's also with growth and, and recon, uh, recognition of certain things. But uh, I think it's just a national personality you have. Yeah, you think? I guess it's always been that way. Yeah, well, ever since I've known you. I mean, even though it's a, it's a, like a fun loving asshole, like it's not too much of just you know straight face fuck you kind of asshole because there's people out there you run only, into them daily you only hurt the ones you love right yes I mean that's that's the kind of asshole yeah there you go <laughs> 
All right. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with everybody today. I think there's a lot of useful information for if, if you're a brewery owner trying to learn you know, the nuances of how to deal with a retailer, like what you guys expect from the suppliers. Um, Don't expect anything. Obviously, we learned a lot about distributors today too. But um, but anyways, I really appreciate you coming and I um, think we got a lot of great content here. And honestly, I will probably hit you up again for some other questions that we have from some things that come up from time to time. So, Well, thank you for the invite. Uh, this was a pleasure. I always love doing these and, you know, be able to talk about my industry. Uh, it's something I like to share and want other people to know. You know, it, it might not be exciting for everybody, but it's certainly exciting for me and I like talking about it. Yeah. No, we have a fun job, so. Absolutely. Great I, to share. I wouldn't want to trade this for anything else. I don't care if it was more money. I love what I do. All right. Well, on that note, have a great day and we'll talk to you soon. All right. All right. Bye. Hey guys, I want to thank you for sticking around. I appreciate you spending time with my guests tonight today. A couple of housekeeping things. I want to remind you that my book is available on Amazon, both on Kindle and in the paperback. And you'll see probably about another month, there'll be an audio book. So if you don't like to read and for some reason you're burdened with loving to listen to my voice, you will get more of that um, in that audio book. But again, thanks for sticking around and I look forward to the next podcast. Uh, peace out. See you soon. Replay. Media. Media.